0: This message entitled, Taming the Tongue. It's the next passage in the book of James that we come to, Taming the Tongue. Once an insurance adjuster noted the unique way that people file their reports on their insurance claims when asked to describe their accidents and their property losses, and they're told to do so in as few words as possible. Here's one. I pulled from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed for the embankment. (laughs) Another, the pedestrian had no idea which way to run, so I ran him over. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Communication, it's the process of expressing how we feel, what we think, what we experience. And this whole thing called communication and speech is rather tricky. And I would submit, based on our verses this morning, it is also very risky. Words can confuse, embarrass, and hurt. We all know, we can testify that words can hurt. Conversely, Words also have the power to heal, they have the power to encourage, they have the power to help, and they have the power to teach. Unfortunately, unless we are under the full control of the Holy Spirit, our words are far more prone to hurt than they are to help. The schoolyard rhyme is absolutely false. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words do hurt deeply. In reality, we have the power in our tongue and our speech to either lift people or to hammer them down in some ways in an irreversible hammering down. Job of old said in chapter 19 and verse 2 this How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? He had these comforters who were no comfort whatsoever, who shot their mouths off about things they did not know or understand. And he asked a good question How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? I must constantly be aware that my words to our grown daughter, my words to our grown son, my words to my wife, my words to all of you, the flock of Calvary Bible, my words in public, my words in private, I must remind myself that my words, like your words, carry impact. Impact either for help or for hurt. That's why God holds us accountable for our words. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that he delivered with such profundity that at the end of the sermon, religious guys said, my, how he teaches with authority not like our Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. In that sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, and I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. By your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. Wow, devastating words aren't the only problem we have with our speech. Occasionally, our tongues simply succumb to the cascade of everyday pressures, the, the flood, no pun intended, of all the aftermaths of a hurricane. Sometimes our words just capitulate and give in and go with the tide of negativity, of unhelpfulness, of criticism, and fault finding Jesus said and i say to you that every careless word that men shall speak they shall render account for in the day of judgment for by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned and so devastating words aren't the only problem we have with our speech occasionally our tongues simply succumb to the cascade of everyday pressures or everyday bad examples in other people's talk And so often, is it not true that the first screw that works loose in a person's head is the one that holds their tongue in place? (laughs) A young lady once told John Wesley, I think that I know what my talent is. And Wesley said, tell me. And she said, I think it is to speak my mind. And Wesley replied, I do not think that God would mind if you buried that talent. Joe Stoll has said having a tongue is like having dynamite in our dentures. It must be reckoned with. Your tongue and my tongue must be reckoned with. Transforming our tongues requires nothing short of transforming our hearts. It takes a reformed heart to give a reformed tongue. It takes a redeemed heart to produce a redeemed tongue. Because our tongues are connected to our hearts. Our hearts are connected to our tongues. Hedden Robinson has said that our tongue slips not because it's wet, but because it's connected to our heart. My tongue slips and your tongue slip because they're connected to our hearts. Yes, transforming our tongue requires having a transformed heart. And having a transformed heart requires having the Holy Spirit in control of our heart and our mouth. One of the best ways to let the Holy Spirit control your heart and therefore your tongue is to hear and to heed the word of God. You are to be commended this morning for coming through the weather conditions and some of the conditions of your homes and businesses to be here to hear the word of God. To give place to the scriptures in your thinking, in your prioritizing, in your recovering from Matthew. You are to be commended to give God's word a hearing in this hour. And may I remind us, we must give God's word a hearing in our prayer closets Monday through Saturday as well. Yes, one of the best ways to let the Holy Spirit control our hearts and our tongues is to hear and to heed God's warnings and instructions from the Scripture. And one of the most very helpful passages in the New Testament on controlling our tongues is James chapter 3. In this chapter, we're going to look at the first 12 verses together this morning. And in these verses, we're going to see the gravity of our words, that our words are weighty. They are not trivial. They are not trite. They are not insignificant. Our words are weighty. In the course of looking at the first 12 verses of James 3 this morning, we're going to see five principles About our tongues. Five principles about our tongues. Let me preview the principles and then we will unpack them one by one. Five principles in James 3, 1 through 12 about the tongue. Number one, the tongue is the measure of maturity. I see that in verses 1 and 2. Number two, the tongue is small but significant. I see that in verses 3 through 5. Number three, the tongue is a combustible commodity. I see that in verse 6. Number four, the tongue is a wild and a deadly beast. I see that in verses 7 to 8. And then number five, the tongue is double trouble. I see that in verses 9 through 12. The tongue is the measure of maturity. The tongue is small but significant. The tongue is a combustible commodity. The tongue is a wild and a deadly beast. And the tongue is double trouble. So let's go to the first principle Of our text, which is verses one and two, and it's this. The tongue is the measure of maturity. The tongue is the measure of maturity. This is what God says in verses one and two of James three. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we are all, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Yes, the tongue is the measure of maturity. When I was at the Word of Life Bible Institute, in Scroon Lake, New York, as a young man, I had finished at the University of Toronto and was challenged to go to Scroon Lake to the Word of Life Bible Institute for one year of intensive Bible study to try to determine God's will for my life because the person who challenged me said, could you know God's will for your life if you don't know his word? And so I took up the challenge after graduating from the University of Toronto and I went to Word of Life as an older student than almost every other student in my class. And as the Holy Spirit was calling me, drawing me, And I was kicking and screaming, honestly, to the calling of being a pastor teacher. I started to get heart palpitations at Word of Life Bible Institute. In retrospect, I believe that was because of the emotional fight I was putting up with God. I didn't want to be a pastor, I wanted to be a businessman with my family in Toronto. And God called me and He used the scriptures. He used guest speakers. He used my classmates. He used my prayer life. He used my own Bible reading to call me to yield myself to be a pastor teacher as He enabled. But I had these heart palpitations. So I went to the nurse at Word of Life Bible Institute. Her name was Lori. And she put her stethoscope on my chest. She said, Man, your heart's all over the place. It's racing. It's irregular. Have you ever had this before? He said, Well, not this bad. She said, What's bothering you? Are you under stress? And I said, Lori, can I tell you something that I don't want you to tell anybody? She said, Yes. I said, I am terrified about being a pastor teacher. She said, She looked at me. (laughs) She said some very few words. She said, Good, you're supposed to be. If you're going to be a pastor teacher in your own smarts and strength, you ought to be terrified. You only can pastor, and you only can teach the Word someday by full reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Choice words. I wound up having to leave the Bible Institute after three months. My health uh, did not rectify itself, so I got into the care of a cardiologist back in Toronto, and he helped me, and I haven't had heart problems since, being in my mid-20s, for which I thank God. But the measure of maturity is our tongue. Now it says here that the word stumble, verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. The word stumble here means to fall or to trip. What a graphic picture of immaturity in our speech. It trips us. The average toddler, as you know who have raised children, trips and falls over almost everything in his or her path. But part of maturing, part of growing beyond toddler years is you don't slip and trip like you used to when you were learning to walk. Stumbling for a toddler reflects immaturity. Stumbling with our words for a Christian reflects spiritual immaturity. Our spiritual maturity is is not measured by the communication patterns of those around us, but rather, our spiritual maturity is measured by the standard of the word of God. Does our speech edify others and glorify God? That's the fundamental question that the Bible asks of my words and yours.
1: In verse 2,
0: the word perfect is there. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect Man, that is not perfect in the sense of sinlessness that awaits seeing Christ through physical death or the rapture. But what it means is completeness or maturity. The person who doesn't stumble in their speech, who doesn't trip up with their words, is mature, is complete in putting doctrine into duty. And the verse asserts that you and I are not complete or mature until we stumble not with our speech. And when we stumble not with our speech with the control of the Holy Spirit, then the rest of our entire body can be in control of the Holy Spirit either. The corollary is also true. If our mouths are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, the rest of us won't be either. You know, certain skills in life are priority skills. If you master these priority skills, you go a long ways in mastering the secondary skills associated with them. For instance, a marathon runner who trains to run 26.2 miles can run one mile easily. Or for instance, the professional golfer who make golf look so simple on TV, they can handle the two-foot putts. And so it is with our tongues. If we allow the Holy Spirit to give us mastery over our tongues, we have the capacity in the Holy Spirit to master all the other aspects of our lives. There was a person who wanted to illustrate the fundamental need for the Spirit of God to control words by a very graphic and memorable way. This person he was trying to minister to shot their mouth off a lot and sinned with speech. So the person said, come with me. It was a windy day. The person doing the teaching got a down feather pillow and cut the pillow with a razor knife and threw the pillow up in the air and all the down feathers blew everywhere. And then the teacher said to the student, Now please go gather up all the feathers. That's impossible. So it is with words. You cannot possibly fully retract them or retrieve them once they are spoken. There's a study. (laughs) I've never been able to get who'd made this study because I think they're scared that the study results come back on them. This study I'm referring to suggests on any given day, a typical man speaks 7,000 words, whereas a typical woman speaks 20,000 words. Don't look at me that way. 7,000 words for men, 20,000 words for women. Men, sometimes we use our 7,000 up at work, right? Is this... Is this a reason why Titus two warns warns the sisters in the assembly the following Titus two three to five Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior? Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Could that be why the Lord warns the sisters about words of gossip? But in the same passage, men, We are equally warned in verses 6 to 8 of Titus 2, listen for a man. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, to show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, here it comes, men, sound in speech. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach in order that the opponent may be put to shame, have nothing bad to say about us. So whether we are female in the body of Christ, whether we are male in the body of Christ, Titus 2 warns us that our speech ought not to be speech of gossip and not to be speech full of reproach. (laughs) You know what gossip is, I hope. Gossip is speaking negatively about someone else who is not present when this person you are speaking with is neither part of the problem nor the solution. If you speak to anyone else in a negative fashion about a third party who is not present and the person you are speaking with is not part of the problem or the solution, you are gossiping, whatever your gender is. Gossip wears many different faces. Gossip is, did you hear about? Don't tell her that I said. Gossip looks like, do you know what many are saying about you? The rumor is,
1: I don't know if it's true, but I just share this as a prayer request. Proverbs twenty six,
0: verse twenty two. Proverbs 26, verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. By the way, why do whisperers whisper? Because they know in their hearts what they're saying is wrong. And God says that in our flesh, the words of a whisperer are very appetizing to some of us. They're like dainty morsels, smoked salmon with cream cheese on crackers. Chocolate-covered strawberries. Rumors to those of us who are not careful are like dainty morsels. And so we must be careful. And so while we're thinking of this study, again, I don't know who did it. They're not telling That in a typical day, the average man speaks about 7,000 words, and the average woman speaks about 20,000 words. You do realize that both genders can be very quiet at times. Did you hear about the husband who was very sick, and he was taken to the doctor by his wife, and the doctor had the wife stay in the waiting room, and he spoke to the man alone for a long time? And the man came out of the examination room with a very sober look on his face, didn't say a word, walked into the waiting room, and the doctor very seriously looked at his wife and said, I want to have a word with you alone. So she came in alone, and she was in there for quite some time, and she too came out of the doctor's room very somber looking, and the two, without saying a word, walked all the way from the office of the doctor to the underground parking. Neither spoke a word to each other. They got in the car, one got behind the wheel, started the car, and started driving for home. Another one, no one said a word. And so finally the wife turned to the husband and said, What did the doctor tell you? The doctor told me that I'm a very sick man. And if I don't get my favorite hot breakfast, my favorite hot lunch, and my favorite hot dinner every day for the rest of my life, I'm gonna die. And so he turned to his wife. What did he say to you? Oh, no, it's not what he said to me. It's what I said to him. I told him you ain't going to make it. (laughs) And so the first principle about our tongue is that our tongue is the measure of maturity. The second principle is that the tongue is small, but it is significant. The tongue is small, but it is significant. Please see that with me in verses 3 through 5, James 3. Now if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder whenever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is small, but it is significant. Some years ago, about a thousand homes in California and several thousand acres of land in that state were ravished by runaway brush fires as the wind swept those out-of-control brush fires over the state they came to find out eventually, the investigators came to find out that that whole fire was either lit by one homeless man or by another man who was an arsonist. Either way, the genesis of that mammoth fire was an extremely small fire. Wars, wars, which have claimed hundreds of thousands of lives have often been ignited by the tongue of someone's speech. Marriages that once set sail on a joyous adventure have been steered onto the rocks by the rudder of a splintered and hurtful tongue. Some kids call a tattletale a Mr. Big Mouth. That isn't a reference to the size of his mouth, but rather a vivid description Of the heap of trouble that this little kid-sized mouth can produce. Oh yes, the tongue is small, but it is significant. The third principle about our tongue, the tongue is a combustible commodity. It burns. The tongue is a combustible commodity. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. In our mouths
1: are our tongues
0: that are set on fire by our enemy, fanned into flames by our flesh. Singing and burning and destroying people in their path. The seriousness of the tongue's activity is revealed in the truth of the verse that it is set on fire by hell. According to verse 6, the tongue is the very world of iniquity. Literally, the tongue is an entire network of sin. Your tongue, my tongue, they are entire networks of other sins. Some of us do not have Wi-Fi at this point in our lives, and we all ought to pretend it's 1995 and the internet doesn't exist and we should just talk to each other. But in this illustration, when it says in the verse that our tongue is the very world of iniquity, literally an entire network of sin, it's like saying we have an organized crime syndicate in our mouths. We have an internet service with wifi connection to hell. We have good signal service for the cell phone of our words and left unchecked and uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit, that is a bad, dishonoring-to-God cell service. Our tongues have the capacity to corrupt our entire beings. Nothing is exempt from the damage that our tongue potentially can cause. Have you ever noticed that when you are talking in a sinful way about someone else who is not present with somebody, that the Spirit of God taps you on the heart and convicts you that what you are saying is wrong? I've noticed that in my own life. The question then becomes, in mid-sentence, when we are saying something that the Spirit of God is convicting us is not true or not helpful, what do we do? Do we press on anyway? Or do we say, I'm sorry, I can't say anything more and what I've told you thus far has been sin. Will you please forgive me for speaking speech to you that was not edifying or helpful? I was in a church gathering, the first church we pastored in Canada in an uh, eye doctor's home, as it was. We were in the basement, there were some people from the church all together and we were talking and all of a sudden a negative report about someone in the church who was not present was said, never forget what the eye doctor did. He's the host. It was his responsibility, and he stepped up. He said, Oh, I'm not in the practice of entertaining any discussions about someone who's not present that are not positive. Let's shut it down. We should remember that fire is one of the few forces that does irreparable damage. Our words are compared to fire. Fiery words often destroy relationships that even when they are restored are never quite the same. It's like saying, does your dog bite? And the guy says, no, he doesn't bite. You go to pet him, he bites all the way up to your elbow. You never look at that dog the same again. When someone burns you with their speech, you never quite look at them the same way again. You may forgive when they ask
1: for forgiveness but it's hard to look at them the same way.
0: We should wear signs on us that say, caution, life is a combustible commodity, douse your tongue. Caution, life is a combustible commodity, douse your tongue. And so we've seen three principles. We've seen the measure of maturity, we have seen small but significant. We've seen a combustible commodity. The fourth principle the tongue is a wild and deadly beast. The tongue is a wild and a deadly beast. Verses 7 and 8 For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You know, I get a kick out of the efforts that trainers go to in the animal world to tame wild things. You've seen it like I have, you know, elephants playing soccer, dogs barking jingle bells, chipmunks water skiing, chimps communicating in sign language, birds that can talk, dogs that fetch frisbees, porpoises that shoot baskets better than I do. But taming the tiger in our mouths is something we can't do. In and of ourselves, we cannot train our tongues to behave. But the behaving of our tongue is a priority. It's a measure of spiritual maturity. Our tongues, verse 8 reminds us, they can be poisonous. Verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Your tongue, my tongue are full of deadly poison. In regions of South America, there is a snake they call the two-step snake. You know why they call that snake the two-step snake? Because if it bites you, you take two steps and you drop dead. The venom of this particular two-step snake swiftly paralyzes your entire nervous system, which stops your heart. Words can be like that. They can have the potential to swiftly kill a relationship. They have the ability to paralyze love. They have the ability to poison minds and destroy faith. They have the power to stain purity and to deface reputations of other people. Oh, yes, the tongue is a wild and a deadly beast. Our fifth and our last principle about the tongue in this passage is this. The tongue is double trouble. The tongue is double trouble. Verses 9 to 12. With it, that is the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, for from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. The tongue is double trouble. Someone has said that most tongues are tied in the middle and wagging at both ends. God doesn't want us to have double tongues. In fact, in his qualifications for leadership in the church in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this in verse 8, under the category of qualification for deacons, 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons must likewise be men of dignity, not double-tongued. But it isn't just deacons who are called to reject the concept of having a double tongue. It's all of the body of Christ, all of this incredible body of Christ. We're all called by the word of God not to have double tongues. God wants us to have sincere tongues. He doesn't want us to have double tongues. He doesn't want us to have inconsistent tongues, that we say something to someone's face and we say something contrary behind their back. God doesn't want us to have speech that looks one way on Sunday on this campus and another way Monday to Saturday in Nassau. God doesn't want our tongues to be double, unpredictable, volatile. He wants our tongues to be consistent, controlled,
1: helpful, glorifying to God. How's your tongue? May I ask you, how's your tongue?
0: Is your tongue sincere? Is your tongue consistent in honoring God? And when it isn't consistent and you are convicted of it, do you repent and ask others' forgiveness who are aware of what you said? How's your tongue? Is your tongue single or is it two faced? How's your tongue? Is your tongue the same in private as it is in public? How's your tongue? Is your tongue like Jesus' tongue? When we close our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, we are saying, we believe that we just prayed a prayer that Jesus would pray. That's what you say when you say in Jesus' name, amen. Are the words of my mouth
1: and are the words of your mouths the words that Jesus would say?
0: Or is it that we come to an assembling like this on a Lord's Day, and the last person who pronounces the Lord's benediction or closes the service in prayer, that we're no sooner in the back foyer and we
1: turn to someone and say, I can't believe they didn't keep that child quiet. Can you believe how long the pastor preached? We can not even make it to our parked cars before we sin with our mouths.
0: It says in verse 10, My brethren... These things ought not to be this way. You know, the verses point out that not even in God's created nature do things act so inconsistently. It would be impossible for our wells to uh, send forth salt and fresh water and for our fig trees to yield olives and for our grapevines to produce figs. So it is impossible for us with our tongues which are hooked up to our mouths, which are hooked up to our hearts, it is impossible for our mouths to act inconsistently with our hearts. They're connected. And so how good it is that we would have our hearts controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because when our hearts and minds are controlled by the Holy Spirit, then that precious Holy Spirit also controls our words. If, on the other hand, that your heart is controlled by your old person, by your flesh, then your tongue will be fleshly too. Your speech will not be differentiated from the person's speech who doesn't know Christ. So we must consider our tongues. Maybe we could use the illustration that our tongues are like our computer monitors. Maybe we could consider our hearts like our computer keyboards. Whatever the keyboard punches in, the monitor displays. Whatever our hearts think and feel and decide, these things our tongues will eventually communicate to our worlds. But the great news is That God, the Holy Spirit, wants to control and curb and focus and channel your heart and therefore your tongue. And the Holy Spirit, the great news is He can actually control your heart and in so doing, He can control your tongue. Will you let Him do so? Maybe you're... Sensing as this message is being preached that your tongue has been a real cause of sin in your life, all your life. Or maybe since this hurricane hit, you've become very negative. You're quick to tear down anything that doesn't give you what you want.
1: Repent of that and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart and your mouth.
0: In wrapping this up, because the tongue is the measure of maturity, I need to decide to let the Spirit of God control mine. And because the tongue is small but significant, you need to purpose to let the Holy Spirit bring your tongue under his control. And because the tongue is a fire and all of life is a combustible commodity, we all must realize that only God, the Holy Spirit, can contain our tongue. And because the tongue is a wild and a deadly beast, Christians like us must let the indwelling Holy Spirit be the daily trainer and restrainer of our tongues. And because the tongue can be double trouble, those of us who name the name of Christ must constantly let the Holy Spirit change the root so that it changes the fruit. The root is the heart the fruit is the words of the tongue. Chuck Swindoll writes of a country churchyard's tombstone in jolly old England. It reads, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue.
1: May we not have to physically die to hold our tongues because words are weighty. In
0: Proverbs 10, verses 19 to 21 When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Words are waiting. One more thing I want you to know, that I do not stand before you with the incredible privilege of being your pastor teacher of the God's word of this local assembly, missing the stern warning that God states to me and men like me who preach and teach the Bible each week. The warning is in the first two verses of our passage. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Pray for my mouth. And not just when I'm in a pulpit. Pray for my mouth. Pray for the mouths of the other pastors of our assembly. Pray for your own mouths. Pray for the mouths of of your mates, pray for the mouths of your children, pray for the mouths of your brothers and sisters in this assembly. What a practical book the Bible is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the Listerine gargle has been administered by your spirit. Now may he do what our flesh will never do, May he tighten our loose lips. May he bridle our wagging tongues. Because we know our words are weighty. We want and we desperately need transformed speech. And so, Father, we are really asking for your word and your spirit to transform our hearts. Accordingly, may our words Be helpful. May our words be glorifying. May our words be wise. May our words be choice. May our words be silver. May our words nourish. It's possible, Lord, only in you. So please make it a reality, Father. May our mouths be yours. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And God's people use their mouths to say, amen.